last two classes we were discussing the very first three mantras first three slokas of shrimad bhagavatam which are considered as the mangala charanam the invocation of the scripture the first sloka as we have seen describes that what's the purpose of studying the shrimad bhagavatam it is satyam param dhimahi it's for the meditation on the supreme truth that supreme truth which is finding expression as the universe it's not only this universe it's even something which is beyond our perception god cannot be limited just by what we are seeing what we are perceiving it cannot be limited just by our limited state of existence he is even beyond that is projecting as the universe not only this universe so that's why we find when the gyani interprets neti neti as not this not this the bhakta interprets the same neti neti as not only this not only this he is something which which is pervading this creation and it is something which is even beyond this creation so it is the first shloka is considered as the gayatri of bhagavatam just as we see in the gayatri they say the what what's the purpose of gayatri bhargo devasya dhimahi that i meditate on that effulgent divine here also the same idea satyam param dhimahi most interestingly this satyam param dhimahi is the phrase which we find even almost at the end of the bhagavatam so the entire bhagavatam is nothing but it's encompassing the slokas which deals with the lord and lord alone so it's the studying itself is in contemplation so the second sloka as we have been seen in the last class it's the answer to the question that there are so many scriptures bhagavatam came almost in the end we will just study later on that vyasa there there is Uh, divided di- the four vedas the four vedas almost became like a forest it was such a vast that it was almost impossible to comprehend by studying it in a systematic manner so for the welfare of the human kind vyasa divided the entire vedas into four divisions the rig sam yaju and atharva not only that 
he wrote the, all the 18 puranas he wrote he was the composed he composed mahabharatam and for those who are intellectuals those who want to be a bit analytic for them he wrote the brahma sutras after all these works at last he is coming to the composition of the Srimad Bhagavatam. So naturally the question arises, what was the need of it? And that the need for composing Srimad Bhagavatam, as we have seen, was discussed in the second sloka. Dharma projita kaitava atra parama nirmat saranang satang Vedam Vastavam atra vastu shivadam tapatraya unmulam srimad bhagavate mahamunikrite kim vaparai ishwaram saddo ridi avarudhyate atra kritivi shusrubhi tatkshanat. That with an assertion, it has been told that the study itself is a contemplation. As if you imprison the Lord in your heart, ishwaram saddo ridi avarudhyate. And when you can do that, tapatraya unmulam, the three types of afflictions known as the adi, daiva, adibhuta, and adhyatmika. What are the, these three types of afflictions? Are the afflictions caused by my own self because of my wrong way of life? That is adhyatmik. Adhidaiva, the calamities of the nature like tsunami, earthquake. If constantly they are there, I cannot think of spiritual practice. There has to be some stability. There has to be some peace, integrity, as per the nature is concerned. So Adhidaiva and Adibhuta. There may be other beings who are harming me. So I pray to the Lord that just see that I may not be the victim of others' rancor and jealousy. Though I may try to be Above it, they affect me. I not only that, it the, in the olden days there was a fear of the predators. Very interestingly, the paradox of the present civilization is we have almost gone back to the very beginning of the cycle of evolution to see our predator is nothing but the virus. It's no more the lion and the tigers. Our predator in the form of virus, what it create havoc it has created. When such is the situation. How can you think of just sitting peacefully and meditate when everywhere you find there's disease and death? To certain extent, the stability is required. And of course, your own lifestyle is to a great extent the cause of Adibhuta and Adidaiva. As in the last class, we mentioned that if my lifestyle is not correct, I'm living a very hectic lifestyle full of tension that the two main diseases of mankind, which comes, which finds expression as adhyatmika, are the obsessions and the stress. It is because of our obsessions that we have forgotten that it is not only the needs to which I should restrict my life. Our greed is constantly speaking of our wants. As very nicely it has been told that the needs are the seeds. They are required for life, they're the seeds. But wants are the weeds. And those wants has become so important in our life. As Mahatma Gandhi used to say very nicely, there is sufficient in this world to take care of our needs, but there is not sufficient resource to take care of our wants. And as a result, what has happened? It is our aggravated wants, the greed, 
which is in a way resulting in the depletion of the ecosystem. We find that we are killing the trees, we are killing the vegetations, the other, the flora, the fauna. And you know the virus, Adhibhuta, is related to that. The, all the virus which were, habitu- which were habituating in the various flora and fauna. Now they, as those flora and fauna, fauna is extinct, is getting extinct, they need a new habitation. We have as if simply jerked the trees from those viruses, those viruses fell off and we are the new habitation for them. And just see what has happened. So Adhyatmika, your greed results in Adibhuta. Not only that, you know, even when my lifestyle results in stress, in tension, that you will, you will find what is happening in turn, that growth and protection can never go together. When you are in stressed, your immune system is hampered. And that immune system, again, when it is disturbed, again, it is in a way inviting the infections. So Adhyatmik and Adibhuta are linked. And Adhidaiva is also linked. It is again our wants, our greed, which has resulted in the, what you say, this all the global warming, uh, depletion of the ozone layer. This, nowadays we find that the, this, the cyclones are much severe, thunderstorms are severe, there are forest fires, which are all man-made. It is our obsession, which our greed, which is resulting in disturbing the environment, which again is finding expression as Adhidaiva. So unless we know to be in peace with ourselves, there can never be as such integrity, peace in the world. All the reform should start from within. And to be at peace with ourselves, the only means, we will say, not uh, one of the means, is to relate to another dimension of our existence. That is a spiritual dimension. Without that, we can never be at peace. However academic we may try to make the so-called the subject called psychology and try to deal with our psyche just from the academic point of view, know it for certain, it can never at last give us the peace and integrity we need. We have to relate to that spiritual dimension of existence. And for that, here the Srimad Bhagavatam is a scripture, which is a very practical scripture, Vastavam. In this sloka, this word Vastavam is spoken. Because it speaks of the lives who have actually internalized the spiritual values to show it to the world that it is something which is not simply make-belief. It is something which is practical, which can be practiced in your life. You will find when, when someone is practicing, practicing spirituality sincerely, that person becomes a motivation factor for others. Because seeing that person, you know that spiritual, it is something which is not mere words. It can be practiced and that practice transforms the life. You see a life where you find fulfillment. That's why it is vastavam. Atra vastu shivadam. Shiva means all good. It means that goodness is Shiva. It is practical. It is the only thing which can give us peace, happiness, goodness. That's how we can get rid of Adhidaiva, Adhibhuta and Adhyatmika, afflictions.
So that's why this scripture, which has been written by Mahamuni Vyasa, Mahamuni Krite, Kim Vaparai, you cannot think of anything superior to this scripture. He contemplated to compose this scripture. The scripture, his first his contemplation, he's coming down from his contemplation to compose this scripture. Why? So that resorting to that scripture, we can rise up spiritually. So that's the grace of the divine. There's a grace of all the spiritually illumined soul. They find a means to come down from their realm of realization so that holding onto the, their lives, their teachings, their writings, we can rise up. So this Mahamuni, Vyasa, he has written this, this Srimad Bhagavata, Srimad Bhagavate Mahamuni Krite, what can be superior to this? Have faith, sraddha, resort to it. If you can do that, know it for certain. At the very beginning, Bhagavatam is asserting, is giving us that assertion with full conviction. If you can do that, what happens? Ishwaram saddo ridi avarudhyate. The Lord as if gets imprisoned in your heart. Sri Ramakrishna used to say a very interesting thing. That at the beginning of our spiritual journey, God is the magnet. We are just simple iron filings. And when your devotion, when your devotion goes on becoming overwhelming, it is you who become the magnet. God becomes the iron filing. Your devotion as if attracts him, pulls him and makes him imprisoned in your heart. So what, that's the thing. Here is how nicely it has been told that you have now become because of your devotion, the magnet, God is as if the iron filing. Ishwaram, saddu ridi avarudhyate. He gets imprisoned in your heart. Atra kritivi shusrubhi tatkshanat. Immediately, just by reading the overwhelming devotion which you have, as if makes the Lord imprisoned in your heart. It is just a metaphorical way of saying, the Lord need not be imprisoned in your heart. Why? Because he is everywhere. He's already there in your heart. It is we, how nicely Sri Ramakrishna used to say, that God is everywhere. Then whom do I call a devotee? If God is everywhere, then why should I just distinguish you from me, a devotee from a non-devotee? Because he is in the devotee, he is in the non-devotee. Then what is the difference between a devotee and so-called the one who is not devoted? So very simply Ramakrishna is saying, God is everywhere. But who is a devotee? One who is in God. God is in everyone, but we are not in God. The one who is in God. That's Sri Ramakrishna used to say, Bhakti Ridoy Bhagavaner Bhitokkana. That the heart of a devotee is the God's living room. Very nice. Why he used to say that? That in your house, you have access to each and every corner of your own house. This here freedom. You can go about anywhere. But when the guest comes, you come to your living room to meet him. It is the living room where you meet with your guest. Similarly, God is all-pervading, he is everywhere. But he, where is his place to meet his devotees? It is the devotee's heart. So devotee's heart is the living room of God. It is there you can realize him. It is there you can as if imprison him, feel his presence. And that happens when scriptures like this which is not something, a product of imagination. 
It is a product of realization. Someone has realized the if impact of bhakti in their life through contemplation by directly communicating with the divine and from there he's coming down. And this is the product of the realization. So this scripture has a tremendous power to overhaul our entire personality by changing, by just removing all the dross, cleansing it and uh, make the devotion spontaneous. So that was what, which was indicated in the second sloka. The third sloka, which we just touched in the last class, what's that? Nigama kalpa falor, nigama kalpa taro galitam phalam. Shuka Mukhat Amrita Drava Samyukta Pivata Bhagavatam Rasam Alayam Muhuraho Rasika Bhuvi Bhavukaha Nigama Nigama is the Vedas Kalpa Taro Galita Phalam. So this Bhagavatam is actually like a ripened fruit in the tree of the Vedas. If Veda is the tree, Bhagavatam is a ripened fruit. It's very sweet. The next word is Shuka Mukhat, which has been exposed, expounded by the realized soul, Shuka, the pure soul, Shuka, the son of Vyasa, who was immersed in Samadhi from where Vyasa brought him down to preach this the philosophy of Bhagavatam to the humankind. Such a pure soul who has preached this Bhagavatam. So this scripture is something which itself speaks that unless a pure soul like Shuka is preaching it, the scripture doesn't get its authenticity. So the Shuka, it came out from the mouth of Shuka. Not only that, the Shuka in our scripture, in our Sanskrit language, in Sanskrit language also means bird. You know, in a tree, if any fruit, any fruit is picked by the bird, they have that instinct. The bird will never pick at an unripe fruit. They somehow know they can they have the instinct to pick only at the ripe fruit. In a tree, if you find a fruit has been picked by the bird, know it for certain, it is going to be very sweet. So this Bhagavatam has as if been picked by the bird called Shukadeva. The free flying bird came down and pecked it. He's free. He's a free soul, like a free, like a bird flying in the sky. He's a free soul. Nothing can bind him. He comes down, pecks on the fruit. Know it for certain. The authenticity of it. It is a fruit which is fully ripened. Shukamukhat, Amrita Dravasam Yukta. It is nectar like Amrita Drava. It is smeared with nectar. Pivata Bhagavatam. So here it is being instructed that just drink it. Just enjoy it. Drink the Bhagavatam. Pivata Bhagavatam. Why? Rasam Alayam. It is full of rasa. In Sanskrit, the word rasa actually means anything that gives you joy. It is a unit of joy. So this Bhagavatam is a scripture which is full of joy. Now who can test it? What's the qualification for one to study this Bhagavatam? You don't have to be a one 
who is intellectually very, very sharp, who can analytically understand the depths of the spiritual dimension, nothing is required. Only two things are required. He should be Rasika and Bhavuka. These two are wonderful words. Rasika, one who has experienced love, any love, not love for God. In this world, you have experienced love. You are entitled to study Bhagavata. Because this love, the so-called human love, which finds expression as all sorts of human love, that when directed towards the divine, can just bring a overwhelming transformation in your life. It is something which is sublime. It is there is you uh, in the scriptures in the bhakti scripture they say don't suppress your emotions, don't suppress them, sublimate them, just change the channel. The river is coming down from the mountains. Ganges is coming down from the mountains. It comes down to the valleys through the uh, Gangetic plain. But in the Rajasthan, the desert, it is always dry. So what, how to get, make it to fertile? Just divert the course of Ganges because the, it will be flooding the land that so much of water is not required. You channel, you just cut a channel and take it to the deserts of Rajasthan and it becomes fertile. That's what we have to do. The, Flow of emotion is there. Maybe it's for your children, for wife, for mother, for father, for friends, whatever it may be. That love which you have experienced, divert it to the divine. The one who can do that is a rasika. Any love. This love is something which we should have experienced in our life if we really want to progress spiritually. The one who has never experienced love, know it for certain, spirituality becomes a very, very far reached goal. It's very difficult. Just to give an example, uh, in the last class we gave that indication, one of Ramakrishna's disciple, Hari Maharaj, later he became Swami Turiyananda. He was orphaned at a very small age. And when he grew up, he was of a very austere temperament, very austere. He will fast for days together, do a lot of repetition of the mantra and always do the Vedanta Vichara, that Brahma Satya Jagan Mithya. He appeared externally to be very dry as a young boy. Swami Vivekananda, at that time Naren, one day asked him, have you ever loved anyone? Apparently it appears that you're so dry. Have you ever loved anyone? And then Hari Maharaj told, see, I was orphaned at a very young age. But my elder brother, he's very, very senior to me. My sister-in-law, my elder brother's wife, she was just like my mother. She was, I have never seen my mother. She was mother to me. And she just took care of me just like her own child. And I have a tremendous attachment towards her. Immediately Naren told, you're saved. If I would have known that you have never experienced love, I would have told you a wretched. There cannot be any spiritual growth. The same love which finds expression in all the human affections, when it gets converted to the love for the divine, can create a real wonder. 
you know why love is important even you will find in viveka churamani where shankaracharya is speaking only of gyana there also he defines bhakti that when you are saying aham brahmasmi unless you develop a love for that repeating that mantra know it for certain there cannot be any spiritual progress so bhakti is the love which you have to develop whatever it may be because that alone makes the contemplation very very intense just the example which we give again and again that that the mother need not have to meditate on the child lest she forgets her the love makes her think of the child spontaneously whatever she may be doing a part of the mind is always with the child she can never forget whether she is in her workplace whether she is cooking whether she is taking care of any household activities a part of the mind is always with the child why the love the love alone speaks of spontaneous meditation so unless that love has developed there can never be a real intense spiritual growth so that's why this rasika this idea has been spoken that who can really benefit from studying this bhagavatam the one who has tasted this love in any form just it has to be directed the rasika and what is the bhavuka when you have experienced love in association with what happens anything which is associated with that person that immediately reminds you of the object of your love so bhavuka speaks of that that when the child is not at home most probably he has the child has gone for some school excursion for 2 3 days he is not there the mother enters the child's room just to make it tidy whatever she sees there whatever immediately those things reminds her of her child if this world is the lord's projection a devotee is bound to see the lord in each and everything just the way the a lover's small thing a handkerchief of the lover reminds you of your the object of love similarly all the things of this world can enkindle the divine love in you there is a wonderful examples of that chaitanya mahaprabhu was passing through a village and someone told him the clay of this village is used to make the drum which is used for kirtana for praising the lord of the divine immediately chaitanya mahaprabhu went into samadhi just see the law of association the village the clay the drum the kirtan the kirtan to lord immediately goes to samadhi just there that's why sri ramakrishna used to say very nice that the mind of a true devotee is just like a dry matchstick just a little friction is required immediately it ignites for a world worldly minded person the matchstick is as if wet you go on striking it doesn't light but for the devotee he is a bhavuka a little in the life of ramakrishna we find some wonderful examples he was one day passing through the roads of calcutta he saw an english boy reclining to a pillar he has nothing to do with spirituality he was reclining to a pillar with one leg crossed over the other and the hands were folded on his chest seeing him immediately went into samadhi deep samadhi when he came back from the samadhi he related the reason of his samadhi why it reminded him of krishna krishna is three bhanga you will find krishna when playing his flute 
there are three bends in his body. His one leg is crossed over the other, his hip is bent, and for holding the flute, the two hands are bent from the elbow. So these three bends represents Krishna, three bhanga. And this English boy, who he most probably never knew Krishna, was just casually standing, reclining a pillar, and his three, there was three bends, natural bends. As he was reclining, the hip was a bit tilted, the leg was crossed over the other, and the hand was folded. Immediately he went into Samadhi. And when he comes back, he says very interesting thing, that he reminded me of Krishna. One day he was taken to the zoo. He was very enthusiastic, like a small child. Whenever anyone is to say, uh, well, Paramahamsa, well, uh, Ramakrishna, will you go such a... You're always ready. Zoo, there are so many animals. Will you see? Yes. And he was taken to the zoo. The first animal he saw was a lion. And seeing the lion, he was in such a deep samadhi, they had to bring him back. He could see nothing. And then he told, seeing the lion, I immediately, it reminded me of the Vahana of Mother Durga. This, this lion, the Vahana of Durga and Durga. And immediately that takes him to the Samadhi and the devotee who took him to the zoo, he was frustrated. He told, I will never take you anywhere. But the entire plan was totally, because he himself also would have enjoyed the zoo, but nothing happened. Just by seeing the lion, they had to come back. So that such is the mind. That is the idea of Bhavuka. Just seeing anything, it can enkindle the divine. And that's the idea, even you know, in the ritualistic worship. Sometimes we don't understand that you will find that it's so ritualistic worship and so many items are used. For Durga Puja, for bathing the mother, the fifth, there are so many items. There are the water of all the rivers, of all the ocean, the soil which has been dug by the boar in the forest, the clay just in front of the hut where a prostitute says, stays. And you may find what all these things are. These are used for mother's worship. You know the science behind it? It's just simply deification. That throughout the year, you took such pains in collecting all this. And then for the five days with full devotion, you worshipped. And now the law of association works. You don't see unholiness anywhere. Even while passing through a place of real irritation, the thing which will be reminded, oh, this is the soil which I use for mother's worship. The entire world gets deified. I still remember a brahmachari who was joined our order. The first assignment given to him was to do the puja. And he felt distracted every day because during the puja, they use one of the ingredient is some is incense. Some scent is used. And now he objected that for this Ramakrishna is the, the king of renunciation. Why you use all these items? The monk to whom he asked, the senior monk, he told, see, I don't know all those things. I find joy in worshipping with all those items. And now you, by your own will, have joined this order. No one has called you here. This is the thing we follow. If you find this is distraction, well, the gate is open. Anyone can come in, anyone can go out. It is up to you. And finding no answer, he was dissatisfied, but he continued with the worship. And he found the answer just in three months that why those things are used. The same scent, 
which actually distracted him for the worship because it made him think of social gathering in marriage or some birthday party, marriage party where all have you sent. It makes you as if think of that. It distracts you. In three months, a wonderful change has happened. Every day using it for the worship. Now he says, I went to the marketplace for shopping. Some ingredients for the puja, as he was the pujari, the fruits and other things he has to buy weekly. Uh, that Now and then he has to go to purchase all those puja items. Now he says, I went to the marketplace for shopping. I was passing by a incense sto- this shop where they just all those scents are there. And he's saying a wonderful thing in that noisy place where all are, there's tremendous noise, all are shouting. So much of noise is there. Suddenly I find the peace of the shrine. That smell now has got associated with the divine. So that's the idea of Bhavuka. So when you just go on just reading the scriptures, you will find the Lord has came down to this earth to enact the Leela. And where he's doing the Leela? In this earth. With all the things of this earth only. And now the entire world gets defied. Everything gets associated with the Lord. And that's the idea of Bhavuka. So one, who is a Bhavuka? Who, because of intense love, feels associated with all the associations with the object of love. Such a person. He need not be just a spiritual being. At the basic level, he is with Rasika, he is with Bhavuka. These alone are the qualifications. When he just diverts it in the study of the scripture, of devotional scripture, a wonderful transformation starts happening automatically. And Muhuraho, that's it, it. When you study it again and again, these are the scriptures not like novel, not like Harry Potter, that you once you read, the interest is gone. You'll find these are the script, these scriptures are a wonderful book. The more you read, the more it's absorbing, the layers of meaning comes out. That's what's meant by Muhuraho again and again. That's why these are called Purana, Mahapurana. Purana means Pura Api Navaiva, that never gets old, ever aging, never old. The more you study, the more the meaning comes out. As your life's experiences, the seasons you, you get seasoned by the life's experiences, the new meaning comes out. The new revelations comes out from the same words. And you find it's so profound. The so-called apparent simple words has layers of meaning. And it gives you more and more absorption. So that's why never did get dejected in studying the scriptures. Make it a point to study it again and again and again and again. So that's the idea which has been spoken of in the first three invocatory verses. So with this, the invocation that by motivating us to study now the entire Bhagavatam, which has 18,000 verses, a huge scripture that starts as we told previously, we are it's almost impossible in a lifetime to go for an exposition of Bhagavatam. You may read out, but just to have the meaning out of it, to un- reflect on it, sloka by sloka, maybe it we can make it our own life, uh, what you say that, a sadhana. But to have it as a regular class, to study it thoroughly, becomes almost impossible. We don't have that time. So we will take out portions out of it, 
which we find very easy to relate and which we find is something spiritually absorbing. And we will try to uh, uh, complete the Bhagavatam by taking out those aspects. And there is no harm in it. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say very nicely that if there is this mountain of sugar candy, whether you taste it from the left or the right, from the top, from the bottom, it's sweet. So in whatever way you study, you need not have to study just eat from the very beginning to the end. Wherever you pick it up, you find the same bliss is, which is as if coming out from it. So we will now enter into the section after this Mangalacharana, which speaks of the compiling of that of the Bhagavata. What's the background which was uh, which resulted in the compiling of the Bhagavata? And after it was composed, what's the situation? What's the scenario which enabled Vyasa to motivate Shukadeva to instruct the scripture to the entire humankind? Vyasadeva had a special reason only to instruct Shukadeva, to instruct the scripture. No one else could have done it. And for that, Shukadeva had to be brought down from his contemplation, from the Nirvikalpa Samadhi, to preach this wonderful scripture, Mahapurana, to the humankind. So what's the background? What's the scenario in which Shukadeva was brought down? So those are the beautiful slokas that those slokas we will take up in this uh, our next discussion so what's the background of the compiling of the bhagavatam so at the end of the dwapara yuga the, when the meaning of the vedas became incomprehensible now vyasa is also considered as an incarnation he incarnated narayana incarnated as vyasa for this purpose what's the purpose which we were already speaking of he classified the Vedas into the four parts. Rik, Sham, Yaju, Atharva. Otherwise, the Vedas became like forest. It was incomprehensible. Such a huge literature. He divided it into four parts and he designated particular families to memorize a particular section. The Rig Veda. For the Rig Veda, particular families were designated. Why he did that? Because in those days, this... Uh, there was no, what you say, there's writing. Like printing press and all was not there to keep everything in written form, right, in a, as a script. It was a big challenge. So they used to memorize. Now it becomes so vast for one person to memorize the entire thing was impossible. That's one of the main reasons he divided into four parts and designated particular families for each of those Vedas. So Rik, Sham, Yaju, Atharva. It's a stupendous job. Not only that, all the 18 Puranas, the author is Vyasa. Mahabharata, he's the author. For the ordinary human being who cannot resort to the Vedas, he composed these Puranas. The sublime truth of the Vedas, he has exemplified through the lives which has been portrayed in these Puranas. Why he did that? So that even an ordinary human being through those lives can understand the sublime teachings of the Vedas. No one reads the Vedas, even in the present day. But you will find if you go to India, people all have some idea of the Vedantic truth, how it happened without reading the scriptures. It is just because of the oral tradition. 
just by hearing even now you will find you go to a village there are some kathaks those who will be singing the glories of the divine there will be kirtanas kathak thakurs will be there and all the ordinary villagers who have who know who doesn't know to read to write they will be just listening shruti is the oral tradition just by hearing that the tradition is maintained and for that we should give credit to again to vyasa it is he who composed all those puranas the mahabharata which in turn became the oral tradition and it even helped the ordinary mankind to cross over the maya what a stupendous job he did he composed the brahma sutras for the learned even to study the vedas and to find out its meaning for the even for the intellectuals is very difficult unless it is uh, written in some logic form in some analytic logic form so this is a logic you find in the brahma sutras so even after doing this one thing he found that he did all those things so that the people get attuned towards spirituality you find nothing has happened the world is still engrossed in the worldly enjoyments in no way he could cleanse the heart of the people this made him utterly dissatisfied tremendous dejection that's after such a stupendous work what has happened i find the people are just leading the old way of life not only that even he himself found that somehow that the spiritual joy which is supposed to he supposed to experience in his life with all these spiritual practices some sort of dissatisfaction is still there so he was dissatisfied sitting by the bank of the river saraswati he was dissatisfied he was dejected and we find that narada appears the narada rishi narada mahamuni narada is called bhava roga vaidya he is a physician vaidya is a physician who can cure you of the disease called worldliness bhava roga so he is a physician for curing your worldliness so he comes and just by seeing vyasa he finds out he immediately finds out that he is dejected he is dissatisfied he is in a very melancholy mood so he asks the reason for his dissatisfaction that why are you dissatisfied and then vyasa replies that see that such a stupendous work i have gone through just for the welfare of the human kind but nothing has happened even i don't find that satisfaction which i am supposed to find after all my spiritual endeavors and then as you know the physician the first work of the physician is to diagnose that he does the diagnosis first and then comes the prescription so now the shloka which we are going to read is the diagnosis of narada that what's the cause of that disease it's the eighth shloka of the fifth chapter of the first part of shrimad bhagavatam as we told there are 12 cantos 12 parts in bhagavatam it's in the very beginning in the very first canto in the very first part the fifth chapter the eighth shloka what it say bhavata anudita prayam yasho bhagavata amalam yena eva asau natushyeta manye tat darshanam khilam भवता अनुदित प्रायम यशो भगवतो अमलम 
So the spotless glories of the Supreme Lord, Yasho Bhagavata Amalam, Bhagavata of the Lord, Bhagavan, his Yasha, his supreme glories, which is spotless, you won't find any spot, have almost not been spoken of. Anudita, Udita means to speak of, Anudita. In your scripture, you have never spoken of that. You have always taken God as the means for the end. Even moksha is your end. You want moksha, but you don't want God. You want worldly enjoyments. For the worldly people, they want worldly enjoyments, but not the God. For them also, God is the means. Worldly enjoyment is the end. And for the one so-called who wants liberation, moksha. For him also, God is just the means. And liberation is the end. They also don't want Lord. So in your scripture, as you have taken God as the means, you have never resorted to just describe the Leela, that when he comes down, the way he relates to the entire humankind, there is no description of it in all the scriptures, in all the work you have done. So unless you really contemplate of the Lord and try to relate through devotion to the word, the Lord's Leela, the Lord is never pleased. Yena eva asona It may appear to be very poetical as if you find that no, there are other ways where what it is being spoken of here is just maybe one of the ways, those who are bhakti, but it is actually speaking the absolute truth. People try to understand. Yena eva asona Mat tat darshanam khilam. All the scriptures which doesn't describe the Lord and his divine play, know it for certain, they are just khilam. Akhilam means which is something beyond all limitation. Khilam means which is limited. Bhagavatam Sanskrit is very terse, very profound, and at the same time, very sweet. Manyatat, all those philosophies that doesn't relate to the spiritual dimension of our existence, they are just limited. So, and you have never related to the spiritual dimension as such. So this is the thing which is Narada, Narada is diagnosing. So what actually he is actually indicating? That when you are reading the divine play, you will find subconsciously a motivation is growing. Because that life is something in which you find that all the limitations which you find in your life is not there. It immediately lures you. You get almost engrossed by it. The truths of the scripture, if you read Upanishad, even Schopenhauer, Schopenhauer, the Western philosopher, when he read Upanishad, he appreciated like anything. But what he told is something very interesting. You cannot be studying the Upanishad for long. It's just like to be on the peak of the Mount Everest, where the oxygen level is very rarefied. You cannot stay there. With all expedition, you can go there, but it is not the place where you can just have a, a tent. You can camp there with a tent and stay there. Just maybe for an hour or so, again, you have to come down. The year is extremely rarefied. Nowadays, people, uh, even without oxygen cylinder, may think of going there. They have developed that skill, 
and they have challenged themselves and created but they can never think of staying there they have to come down and that's what schopenhauer is saying that the upanishads studying the upanishads is just like climbing the everest it's so rarefied you cannot stay there for long the same words we find so simply told by ramakrishna he says saying that brahma gyana the study of the absolute truth is something like staying in knee what is the knee when you are learn music there are seven notes sa re ga ma pa dha ni in the indian uh, that the same thing is in the english uh, so in uh, our our uh, this the indian music they call sa re ga ma pa dha ni so sa is the low the tune is very uh, flat and the knee is the thing which is very shrill when you are singing you cannot keep your voice in that shrill tone at high note for long you can go there but you have to come down so ramakrishna is to say that brahma gyana is like staying in knee you cannot stay there you have to come down so that's why this this type of scripture is very important why you see that the absolute truth has as if taken a form and has came as has come down out of compassion and is relating to the human kind through his life that's why very nicely it has been told in bhagavatam in one place the gopis are saying aho sakhe oh sakhi they they are just discussing among their each other the gopis what in the in the pointing to krishna they are just saying a very wonderful thing just see it's not krishna who is dancing vedanta siddhanta nrityati the 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 conclusion of vedanta has found expression through this life and it is the conclusion of vedanta who is dancing and now it becomes easy to relate through that life he has came down so that's just the thing which is being indicated in this shloka says so narada is that's why saying that describe that so that people can easily relate to the divine and get motivated to that practice by inculcating the values that has been expressed by that life where the vedanta siddhant is as if dancing you know very interesting these are the things we find in all these lives spiritual lives shami sharadananda as a student young student he is a direct disciple of ramakrishna the first general secretary of the ramakrishna order he is the one who wrote the this the life of ramakrishna the ramakrishna the, ma- the great master lila prasanga he is saying that as a student he was interested in the scriptures he has heard of samadhi and he had an idea that samadhi is something very dry he someone told that there is a person who goes to samadhi and he when he saw him his face appeared to be very painful and sharadananda was extremely what you say repulsive to the idea of samadhi if samadhi is such a state i don't want and for the first time when he went and went to visit ramakrishna ramakrishna among the devotees was dancing some song was going on and suddenly in the dance he will become still fully still and his face was full of beaming joy and someone whispered this is samadhi and then sharadananda in lila prasang is writing that's why these lives are so important the scriptures are meaningless you can never understand the real meaning of the scripture unless 
it finds expression through these lives. It's just like a computer chip. The one who doesn't know anything about the computer, if he sees the chip, he will think it is something like a dead log wood. And that computer, that chip, when it is, the it is in the integrated circuit of your computer and the current passes through it and the world of virtual reality projects out of it. Then you guys just amassed. He's, this is the thing in all, all this thing was as if embedded. The scripture is like that chip. It gets enlivened by the life of the spiritual divine personages. They come and enliven it. That's what we find Ramakrishna is saying to Narendranath. One day Narendranath came to Ramakrishna, he was visiting at Dakshineshwar and pointing an almanac, Ramakrishna told, just open that almanac, such and such page, what is written? It is written that there is going to be profuse rainfall this year. And then Ramakrishna told, you take the almanac and squeeze it. Narendranath was a bit taken aback. Why is he asking to squeeze the almanac? But as he insisted, he squeezed. And then Ramakrishna is then immediately just asking Narendranath, why? How many drops of water did you get from it? Till you get a drop of water, it's just mere book. It has written, it, is, uh, it has almost prophesied about huge rainfall. But it doesn't have the capacity even to give a single drop of water if you squeeze it. And that is just book. The book doesn't have the capacity to give you even a single drop of water you squeeze it. You may profess a lot. So all the scriptures are like a dry panjika, that the book which foretells the weather. Unless it has been enlivened by the lives, the divine personages. So that's why the description of this divine life is so important. It is mentioned, the Lord gets pleased when we try to relate to his divine play through devotion. Why? The entire creation is actually as per the bhakta. In the bhakti shastra, the, enter, the purpose of the entire creation, you know why? Lord was alone. He is, he, there is no need for the creation. He is fulfilled. Why we create? It is out of dissatisfaction, out of want. I want something, that's why I create something. God has no want. Why he has created? This is a very interesting thing. Actually, there, there is no purpose behind the creation. It is just the spontaneous expression of joy. And just to give an example to understand, a small child, you give him some clay, he will make some wonderful model. He will make some house and something. Next moment he will break it, make something else. There's no purpose. It is just the expression of the child's inner joy. The joy is finding expression by building all those models, breaking it, again making it. So the Lord is as if playing with the universe. Now to experience the joy, you need playmate. So after projecting the universe, animate and inanimate, he has created the animate beings so that he can relate to those animate beings through love, because the love alone entails bliss. So he was alone, that he became many. That why he became many? Just to experience that joy of love that in the Bhakti scripture speaks of Ladini Shakti. This, it is the expression, this extra entire universe is the expression of the Ladini, of the joy, joy of the Lord. 
then the question comes that if he has made us so that we relate to the divine through love why we get distracted with all these worldly entanglements so know it for certain that it is for a purpose because if i have to experience joy through love that love is possible only when the one whom you love has the choice he may he or she may love you may not love you if you know the object of my love is bound to love me it is not a sentient being it is just a robot in the present day you find that a robot can be programmed with unconditional love you can program but you know you can never love it you can never love it you know after all it's just a robot unless there is a choice you cannot it cannot be a sentient being so the choice he has given us to experience that love you can go away but at the same time this entire creation he has created in such a way you can never get satisfaction by going away it is he has made it perfectly imperfect perfectly imperfect however you try you can never get joy out of it it is perfectly imperfect at last you have to turn around and he is waiting gopala is waiting with the hands extended god who is supposed to bestow blessing is himself as if asking that please come back i want to experience the love he is begging and once we turn around that's the moment he experiences that bliss that's the purpose and that's the thing this turning around speaks of our spirituality in whatever form the moment that renunciation comes this world no more i am no more deluded by these toys as sri ramakrishna used to say the busy mother gave some toys to the child the child is busy with the toys mother is busy with her work a time comes the child gets dissatisfied with the toys throws away the toys and starts crying the mother cannot stay any more with busy with her work she leaves her work in whatever situation it may be she comes running to take the child so that's our condition we are quite happy with the toys the moment we throw them and start crying the lord is bound to come running and that's what is being indicated lord is pleased when we really turn around and try to relate to him that's why that we find that narada is saying yena eva asunatu shita there is no other thing by which the lord is pleased that's why swami vivekananda in in bhakti yoga is saying that that, that one of the angle of love is that the love shouldn't be this what you say that divided it should be one point it should have only one object of love as in the bible it has been made mentioned that god our lord is the this extremely jealous and those who read the scripture for the first time apparently they feel that god also has some negative qualities is jealous but we actually misinterpret it why is jealous you will find the same meaning till he finds my love is divided it is towards the lord lord world also he is never going to respond to your love as long as you are like a fly Sri Ramakrishna used to say there are two types of devotees. Some devotees are like a housefly, and others are like bees. The housefly, what it does, sometimes it sits in nectar, at other times it sits in the filth. It wants to enjoy both. 
Sometimes it is in the filth, sometimes it is in the nest. The bee sits only in the nectar. So as long we are house fly, God never responds back. That's what he's the extremely jealous Lord. Unless your entire attention is towards him. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, you know, when the threads have a lot of fibers, unless you moisten it and make it one-pointed, it will never pass to the eye of the needle. So he used to say these distractions are like the various threads of various fibers of the thread. We have to moisten it with the divine love. Then only it can pass through the eye of the needle. Then only it can pass through the mysteries of the heaven, the mysteries of the spiritual dimension. That's what has been indicated by Yena Eva Asona Tushyata. The Lord is never pleased unless you are glorifying him through your love. So that's the thing which is being indicated by the sentence. So why the Lord that the scriptures were mentioned? The other thing is this four Purusharthas. We speak of four Purusharthas. We never spoke of Bhakti as a Purushartha. Where Vyasa was composing the other scriptures, he spoke of Dharma, Artha, Kama, Moksha. But Bhakti was just a means. So Narada is saying Bhakti is the means, Bhakti is the end. Bhakti is the end in itself. And you have never mentioned that. So that's the thing the Lord wants. So you'll find these slokas are wonderful. You can, that the more you can go in the exposition with the help of so many sayings of the Mahapurushas in so many scriptures, it becomes more and more absorbing. So that's why we are saying that it, we need not think of finishing it from, from the beginning and end. Let us take each slokas. Each sloka can be a mantra. What is as the mantra means? Mananath trayate iti mantra. Go on contemplating over it, cogitating over it. Swami Vivekananda used to give a wonderful example that how the you know the pearl is formed. A particular type of mollusk when it gets irritated by the sand particle which has fallen on it, it will dive deep into the ocean, into the bed of the ocean, and it will start salivating over it. A single sand particle. And at last, that its saliva gets crystallized into the pearl. So in spiritual life, what is needed is not that how much information you have, that the scripture I have to study from the beginning at the end. Take up any sloka, any mantra, mananatrayate, go on salivating over it, cogitating over it. Layers of meaning comes out and that gives you tremendous absorption. And you also get converted into the pearl. This is a Almost this, uh, this valueless life becomes extremely valuable. A purpose is found. And that's why the reading of the scripture with full contemplation is the thing which is deserved. And that's what we will be doing. So with this, we stop our discussion today. We will continue where, from this sloka and continue with the succeeding slokas to just continue with the subject which we have taken, uh, taken up the background on which the Bhagavatam was compiled. So with this, we stop our discussion today. Namaskar and thank you.